one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What is freedom? This is the goal of all we've been looking at in Galatians. We've been here for, if you've been around, about six weeks, I think. First four chapters. Now we get here. This is, this is the gospel. This is why Jesus came to give us freedom. John 8, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Is that your experience? If you're a Christian here today, freedom. We all want it, don't we? We all want to be free. We may feel we are free. Well, our culture, what does it say about freedom? It says freedom is about having choice. We're free because we can vote. We're free because we can eat what we want. Free because we can say what we want. It's the creed of our culture. No one has the right to tell me how to think or how to live. I'm truly free. Well, I think we'd, we'd want to say God was free, wouldn't we? God's free to do what he wants. But being free can't then be defined in the way our culture does because God is not free to sin. So ultimate freedom is not having the choice to do whatever you want, the choice to sin. No, true freedom, as we're going to see here, is the ability to enjoy the best of what you're meant to be. Otherwise, God is not as free as you or as free as me. I can choose to sin or not to sin. God can't. But God is more free than I am. Jesus, when he lived himself, we'll look at him later, more free than we were. He has the ability all the time to choose what is best. So what does it mean for a Christian to be free? It means the ability to enjoy the best. That means the ability to truly enjoy God and being in relationship with him. As we look at scripture, our freedom is described as a a free, joyful, satisfying obedience to God. Because your actions are not free if they ultimately enslave you. That's what we're going to see here in Galatians 5. We've seen it already in Galatians. Our actions can enslave us. And here we hear it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Notice what that verse is saying to the Galatians and us. It's saying it's possible to be a Christian and yet lose your freedom. It's possible to be here and trust in Christ, but you're not living as a free person. You're not facing and, and living in the reality of what it means to be free. And Galatians has shown us two main ways we can lose our freedom. We've seen legalism, following the law and license, going the opposite way, living exactly how we want. Both of them, it says here, lead to slavery. So firstly, we're just going to look quickly because we've spent a lot of time in chapters one to four. Um, so if you've not been here the last few weeks, do catch up. They're on the website uh, or do just flick through Galatians, you'll see it. We're going to look quickly at what freedom is not before we see what it is and more importantly how we can have it. So firstly, very tiny text up there, but you get it there. Freedom is not law or license. We're going to zoom into verse six. Uh, it's a long passage. We're just going to zoom into verse six here, which says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, which is representing the law, nor uncircumcision, which is more license, has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. See the logic, living by the law or living by license, doing whatever you want, both show that Christ is of no value to you. Legalism, thinking we can follow the law to be right with God, to live a good life, that we can do certain things. In legalism, we become the saviour, not Christ. We're the centre of the universe, not Christ. He's of no value to you, Paul says. True Christians, though, are saved by grace and keep trusting in grace. This is freedom. 
trusting, we're going to share communion later, trusting the blood of Christ alone. He alone can save us from our sin. He alone can pay the penalty. We can't. Our freedom, though, we see verses 13 to 15, really, outline that our freedom is not to be abused. This is license. So it says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Our freedom does not lead to doing whatever we want. This is where our culture currently is. It seems to go in cycles. A generation ago, the tendency was probably more legalistic. Christians wouldn't ever be found anywhere near a cinema, anywhere near a pub, anywhere near anything else. That was the culture probably 20, 30 years ago. Now it seems to have gone the other way in some ways. Here you call here, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Verse 6 again, Paul is just expanding this view of slavery. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. This is the summary of the first four weeks that you've been here. No value. Nothing you do has value in terms of our relationship with God and our status with God. Neither doing good things or failing spectacularly counts when it comes to establishing a relationship with God. It's good news. So, so friends, let's get this. Let's hammer this. Your performance does not define you in any way. It, it cannot. It does not. And this is real freedom. Think about how this is freedom. I don't know what your day's been like, your week's like. You have a bad day. Okay, repent. Say sorry. Come back to Jesus. Go again. His love is not dependent on your performance. You have a great day. Whatever, however you define that when it comes to following Jesus. You have a great day. Well, repent. Say sorry for the bits in the day you didn't see. Thank God for a wonderful day. And go again. His love is not dependent on your performance. That's Galatians 1 to 4. It would be a tiny, small God whose feelings for us would be dependent on what we do. That's not the God we worship. And if we live in this way, we live in freedom. Think about it. Because it, it will and it does lead to a real sense of peace. A real sense of balance for the Christian. Not massive highs, not massive lows necessarily. Not a massive insecurity, but a deep and lasting peace when we live as free people. It's attractive. If you've ever seen it in others, I've seen it in some of you. And I long to be this myself more and more and more, living in freedom. Freedom is the mark of a Christian. What is the definition of someone who's then living by grace, living in freedom? Well, we see it, it outworked in love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, verse 6 says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This is true freedom, faith. Faith is just trusting in God, trusting in his promises, his promises to save us, trusting in the wonderful truth we saw in Galatians 4, that we are now his children. And this faith leads to a sacrificial love. I've had a, a tweet pop up from an evangelist called Glenn Scrivener about 10 times in the last two days, which nudged me to think it was maybe just important to include it here. Um, it's quite small, so I'll read it for you. But here he is, he's defining faith. I think it's important as we, we jump into what it looks like now to live by faith with the Spirit. He says this, the opposite of your works, so what we've been looking at Galatians 1 to 4, the opposite of your works is not your faith. The opposite of your works is Christ's work. You do not answer trusting in your works by switching to trusting in your faith. That's like saying you believe in belief. Faith is not a thing. It's not an interiorized interior. It's not an interior mental work as opposed to exteriorized physical works. God does not prefer internal states of believingness 
to external acts of kindness. He really likes good works. Loving God and neighbour is totally awesome in his book. The doctrine of justification by faith alone does not prize mental works over physical ones. It prizes Christ's work over mine. And when I rest in that, we call that faith. But faith cannot be summoned by dredging up a mental state within us. No one is saved by nurturing a sense of trust in their hearts. We're saved by Christ. Sound like good news? Well, I guess you have faith. But faith is not a thing. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying it's not that we replace good works with faith, with an inner will to believe the right things. Again, nothing we do counts. It is all of God's kindness and his grace, only ever grace, that we're saved. We rest alone on Christ, alone on Christ, and that is faith. And this faith, as we've seen in verse 6, we see in verse 15 as well, will lead to a loving service, a loving sacrifice. Let me use um, marriage as an illustration for this. The Bible does, so I think I'm solid ground using it. Now, uh, imagine I'm home alone. So it's a Monday. I'm home alone. Kitchen is dirty. Caroline's out with the children. Uh, I know I have to clean it or Caroline is going to absolutely lose it. <laughs> imagine, it's an imagination. Imagine it. Do I clean that kitchen joyfully? No. I do it fearfully. I'm petrified of her response in that case. If it's not done well or if it's not done well enough. Imagine. Hopefully this is the case we're imagining. It. Imagine now love is my drive. I know Caroline would appreciate me cleaning the kitchen. She's had a long day with the kids, maybe. I've got a spare minute or two to do the washing up. If love is the motivation, I clean it joyfully, don't I? That is how holiness and freedom are linked, how the gospel leads to loving service. It's what Paul says in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. When our motive is love, our motive is faith and love, it leads to loving action. This is humble love. This is love your neighbour as yourself love. It's amazingly seen in the life of Jesus. As often, well, as always, he's our model here, isn't he? Jesus was the freest person there ever was. And what did he do with his freedom? He took on the form of a servant. He took on the likeness of man. He said to his disciples, I'm among you as one who serves. He washed their feet. Jesus served them. He served us through his life, most amazingly through his death the ultimate loving sacrifice. So where is true freedom found? Well, Jesus shows us. It's found in being like him. It's found in serving others, not ourselves. The gospel allows us to do this. It sets us free to do this, to celebrate others, to love others, to make much of others. It's so encouraging when we see this happen. I'm sure you'd have hundreds of examples, as I do, daily here at Town Church, where we see faith leading to sacrificial love. We've seen it in the rotor for meals when babies are born. In care and concern where people are ill, in hard conversations which sometimes have to be had. In the many rotors people serve on, in the 6.30am Friday morning prayer gang, fueling the church by their prayers. In the going over and speaking to someone at church you may not know or find easy to speak to. So many ways, countless ways, I could go on and on and on, where we see people outworking their faith in love. So the call is to stand firm in our freedom which will lead to this love. Stand firm in this freedom in those moments, in those moments when we do what is sometimes the hard thing, the inconvenient thing. In those moments, we're living by faith. That's what it looks like to live by faith. I was sitting at the back a couple of weeks ago with Tom Beaumont and he asked me a few weeks, we just sung by faith. You know that song, that sort of Irish ditty from Stu Townend? By faith. And we were saying, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to live by faith? 
we were chatting, as I've reflected, I think it's often quite ordinary, living by faith. Of course, occasionally it will maybe cause us to do something radical, to maybe live somewhere else, move to another town, give a significant amount of money away, change jobs, whatever it might be. That sometimes will be the case, but often it's quite ordinary. This faith is seen in the ordinary moments, in the loving service of others, in the trust in Christ that no, what he says is good and is true and is right. That when he says that, that life and freedom is found in serving him, that I trust him in that. Just ordinary moments. And how does God do this in us? You may be sitting there going, it's impossible. I don't, I don't know how this works. Well, we see wonderfully here that freedom is powered by the spirit. How do we walk and live as free people? Praise the Lord, not on our own strength. Here's John Stott on the screen. It's a pastor who died a few years ago. He says this, it's not good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. It's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. Friends, if you trust in Christ, the spirit of Jesus has come and lives in you. You can have a life like this. But, I'm going to take the second, because we're on these black books, we're on the second page, we'll spend most time now, verse 16 onwards. It will be a battle. It isn't easy. Verses 16 and 17 say this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Sometimes this conflict, you'll know it if you've been a Christian while, you'll know this. It'll feel like little skirmishes. And sometimes it might be exhausting. It might feel like all-out war. The flesh here is just the description of our, our sinful nature. The war is over. If Christ has come, he's died for our sin. The war is over, but the battles keep going. They said about World War II, when the D-Day landings, the war was won in the D-Day landings. But it took about, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine months until ceasefire was there. That's what we live like now and the now and not yet. How does the flesh show itself? How does it, what does it look like now when we still have the flesh and it's still a battle? Well, the word used here for desires is, is really better translated over desires. Those actions which are listed in verses 19 to 21 as they're read out, you and read them out. They're obvious ones around sexuality, around false religion, around broken relationships, around substance abuse, addiction. You may have read some of them and gone, yeah, no, I've known that in my life. I still know that as a, as a battle now. It may be these obvious ones. But, but ultimately, the, the flesh, it could be anything which we think will deliver more than God. It's what idols are. We, we're idol factory. We all worship other things apart from God by default. This is what the flesh calls us to do. It's a battle. And an idol is just anything which we think will deliver more than God. Anything which will deliver more joy, more satisfaction, more status. That over-desires, often good things, over-desired. Here's Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, writing out this. He says, what is an idol? Is anything more important to you than God? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God? Anything you seek to give you what only God can give? A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. I wonder what yours might be as I read that out, as in if you're here and you're human, 
You can echo that. You should. Otherwise, <laughs> you're not breathing. You'll know what they are. Let, let me tell you, one of mine has come out in the last few weeks, how trusting the gospel maybe has helped in that battle a bit. Uh, a big battle for me is a need for approval, for, for status. Success, you could call it, plays out in different ways. Um, I want to be acknowledged. I want to not just be the best. It's like I want to be better than others. Last week, we launched a new resource at work, one I've stayed quite a lot and I've talked about it quite a lot. I think it could be really good, pivotal to help grow our work. The day it launched, Saturday, last Saturday, said Mr. Caroline, the battle raged. The way it played out was an obsessive checking of the numbers, seeing how it was performing, reading the feedback, oh, what they said, what they not said. <coughs> Why have I not got a text about that? It affected my mood. I was desperate for it to succeed. That's really the approval it might bring. It's really ugly when I describe it out loud. Like, it's ugly. It's my flesh. It's ugly. It's an over-desire. That's where the idol comes in. It's an over-desire. And excellence in work is a really good thing. It's a godly thing. A serving of the people who we created that resource for is a good thing. We long them to be more like Jesus. The over-desire is the personal need for success. It's for jealousy when I maybe see other organisations doing similar things and doing it better. It's when it massively affects my mood. I wonder what these over-desires might be for you. Maybe it's something in your work too. Maybe it's a, a passion or a hobby you put too much worth or value into. Good things, good gifts, but maybe you don't perform how you'd like. Maybe you lose in your sports or your Post on Instagram, don't get as many likes as you want. It affects you, it puts you off balance. Maybe it's how others view you. You obsess over it. You, you worry about how you're perceived. You wonder whether, whether people really like you or not. Maybe your idol is marriage. If you're not married today, it's a good desire. But if that desire is unfulfilled, it makes you bitter, then it's an idol. Maybe it's control. Again, a good thing to be in control, yet when it makes you manipulative, it becomes an idol. You'll have your own examples. Now, now see how the gospel, see how here that the spirit by his work brings freedom. Let me use mine as an example because it's how I've been trying to work it through. The, the spirit brings freedom. So the spirit in chapter four, if you remember, he brings us a, the gift of adoption. He allows us to call God Abba, Father. He reminds us again that we are not loved by how we perform. The, the spirit reminds me I'm not defined by my performance. In any sphere of life. The Spirit reminds me I'm loved irrespective of how others view, me, others view me. The Spirit reminds me of the hope of eternity that whilst things on this earth do matter, there's an eternity to come. This is what the Spirit does. Trusting in the gospel brings peace and balance as we go through this life. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of this. That's why right at the back of verse one, stand firm. Because as we said, we can lose our freedom, not live in light of our freedom, the gifts we've got. You see, when we remind ourselves of the gospel, we, we don't need to prove ourselves. We don't need to worry about what others think. We don't need to be anxious about tomorrow. As, as heirs, as we're called, we don't need to serve our future. We don't need to get angry and things go wrong or chase after the treasures of the world. It's a battle to keep preaching this to ourselves. Maybe you recognise that battle. It could be daily, it could be hourly, the battle of the flesh and the spirit. And if you sense that battle, be encouraged. It shows you're in Christ. Be encouraged if you feel this fight, because without the Spirit, there'd be no fight. So that's freedom being powered by the Spirit. Freedom, though, involves our action. We've seen a lot of Galatians 1 to 4 has been reminded of us that nothing, 
Nothing is of what we do. Here we see, though, freedom does involve some of our action. We see it in these later verses. I don't know if you've noticed it, by the Spirit, we're called to live by the Spirit, verse 16. We're called to be led by the Spirit, in verse 18. We're called to keep in step with the Spirit, in verse 25. Our job is to live by the Spirit, be led by him, and to keep in step with him. The the picture here is the picture of a a shepherd. Um, Proper Middle Eastern shepherding, um, not sort of the European sheepdoggy kind of style, but they're behind you, the sheep are behind you, being led by the shepherd. Because they trust the shepherd, they know the shepherd, they know he knows the right way to go. Temptation, the, the flesh tries to offer us better pasture, can't be trusted. And those temptations we see here ultimately lead to destruction. Verse 21, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Persistently living in this way without repentance will lead to death. But the spirit is leading us towards green pastures and our job is just to trust his lead. When temptation hits, as I said, it's just preaching the gospel. It's repeating the verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free, believing by faith that it is. The image is, is again, a bit of being led by the spirit is one like a trailblazer. Imagine you're walking in a jungle. It's a thick, dense jungle. The spirit is making a clear path. He's hacking away with his machete. Our job is to follow in his footsteps along the trail he's creating. If you step off to the side, you're going to get stuck in the jungle, lost in the darkness. Now, being led by the Spirit, it's not something mystical. It's pretty obvious. It's not special voices about big decisions being talked about here. Verse 19 tells the acts of the flesh are obvious, and so are the acts of the Spirit. Here's Keller again. He says, every inclination in you to do good, to please God, to enjoy God, to pray, to serve, to love, that is the leading of the spirit. Follow it. Every inclination in you to do good, to please God, to enjoy God, to pray, to serve, to love, is the leading of the spirit. Follow it. And how is this seen? How is the spirit outworked? Well, as we heard about earlier from Helen, in this fruit, verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. What if you notice this? I didn't notice it until I started studying this this week. This fruit is singular. It's not multiple fruits. It's one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a list of actions, but of attitudes that come from a heart changed by the Spirit. Why do we think Paul uses the metaphor of a fruit here? Well, firstly, because fruit grows gradually. Anyone who's been a Christian a while will know this is the case. Maybe initially, when you put your trust in Christ for the first time, there can be some big changes. But really, when you often look back, you see the growth. When you look back over a few years, you go, yeah, I am a bit more patient. I am seeing how I'm a bit gentler, got more self-control. You see that. It's gradual. Secondly, for fruit on a tree, if it's a fruit tree, growth is inevitable. And this is a wonderful encouragement. If you're in Christ, if you put your trust in Christ, you will grow. Jesus uses this picture as well in John 15 of being grafted into him. He brings the life. He grows the fruit. A fruit tree will grow fruit. That's an encouragement, isn't it? When you look at this list and you go, my goodness, I can never be like this. What encouragement. If you're in Christ, by his spirit, he will grow you in this way. It's gradual. It's inevitable. Thirdly, it's symmetrical. They all grow up together. Some of these traits, these fruits of the spirit will naturally be stronger than others due to natural temperament, but 
You can't have joy and peace and not have faithfulness. You can't have kindness without self-control. They all come together as a package. We're not meant to look at this list and go, yep, good there, good there, good there, Mm, not good there, not good there. No, no, the encouragement is, by the Spirit, he'll be growing all these things in us. So it can be said that whatever a Christian's life is like, the fruit of the Spirit will burst through. It's a really good check. Gifts and gifting are not good checks for a Christian. Both Judas and Saul were used by the Spirit to prophesy and do miracles, but they weren't trusting in Christ. You'll have more current examples, I'm sure, people you've known who've seemingly had gifts, maybe leadership or preaching or music, whatever it might be. But without a spirit in your heart, they're not in Christ. The only test the spirit has really indwelled you as a child of God is growth in the fruit of the spirit. And what a picture it is. Who wouldn't want to be like this? Look at the fruits again. Who wouldn't want to be like this? Don't we love to see people live like this? People who forget themselves. People who are dominated by a love for God and for others. They want what's best for God and for you. They're full of joy and peace. No matter what's going on, it may be really difficult, their circumstances. But people living by this, they they have a settled joy, a peace, because they're fixed on Jesus. Their identity is in him. They trust him. These people are great to have around. They're like social glue. They bind people together rather than drive people apart. They're marked by forbearance. They show patience even to the most tiresome. Marked by kindness. They want what's best for others. They're good. They're faithful. They have integrity. They do the right thing no matter what the circumstances are. They're reliable even when it's very costly. They're gentle, not pushing themselves forward. They're self-controlled, able to rein themselves in even when tempted to do the wrong thing. Do you want to live like that? I do. The old nature drags me down, but by the spirit, this is how I want to live. Verse 23 tells us, against such things, there is no law. These qualities can't be produced by living out or pointing to a law. You can't be commanded to be more joyful. No, verse 24, they come out of belonging to Christ. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. We saw in Galatians 2 being united to Christ. We're united to him in his death and his resurrection. All that is his is ours. Even the spirit now. All that is his is now. How amazing is that? We looked at what Jesus was like. We can be like that by the spirit. But we do see finally this command. Finally, when we belong to Christ, we crucify the sinful nature. Freedom is a fight. We saw it in the start, stand firm. We see it here again, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Think just now, Ukraine, it's in the news a lot now. For the people of Ukraine, preserving their freedom will be a fight. Hopefully only a diplomatic one, but however it plays out, it will be a fight. And we have a role in this fight for freedom, powered by the spirits. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There is conflict, as we've seen, and verse 24 tells us there's no room for compromise. It's a a battle to the death. It's the same image Jesus used of cutting off your hands if they cause you to sin, taking your eye out if it's causing you to sin. It's the same image here. Friends, as you've looked at that list, as you've thought about your idols, avoid temptation at all costs. I say this to myself, say no when temptation first arrives in whatever form it is for you. Pray that God may may make you aware of what these are if you're not aware of them. We're in a war. 
When you first repented and trusted in Christ, you entered a war. You declared war in your flesh. So keep fighting. No one is called a ceasefire. You will need to fight until the end. What does this mean now? Well, it means we say no whenever we're tempted to sin. But it means we say sorry whenever we do sin. It means we continue to live repentant lives because we don't win every battle. We know that. So day by day, it's a good practice, isn't it, to review the actions of the last 24 hours. Repent, say sorry. Deal with anyone you need to deal with if you've hurt someone. Day by day and sin by sin. Whenever you're conscious of having sinned, bring it to God and ask him for his forgiveness. This is what crucifying the flesh looks like. Whatever sins come to mind when I speak about that, resolve to kill them now. They will rob you of your freedom. There's much more to say, but we need to close. Finally, I said finally before, this is actually finally. Let's cut off at the bottom. Freedom is joy. Freedom is joy. If you go away, go away with this. How does a life like this, a life of battle lead to joy and freedom? Well, our culture looks for quick fixes when it comes to joy and freedom. It looks as though like sugar, like quick pleasures. A bit like having too many snacks at a party or too many snacks after church. It ruins your dinner. Look to Christ and you will have a true and proper meal. Meditate on what he has done. That's the call here. Meditate on what he has done. We saw that back in verse 5 into verse 6. Dwell on the fact that through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. That's what we're called to do. Meditate on what Christ has done. Dwell in the wonderful truth that you're his child. Look to Christ. It's been said that to keep in step with the Spirit, you need to take 10 looks at Jesus for every one look at yourself. It makes sense if you're going down a pathway, doesn't it? If you look too much at yourself, you're going to get lost. Resolve to do that this week. Keep looking to Christ. It's here that freedom is found. Because we can expect change. We can. We can expect to be like this fruit of the Spirit outworked. It won't be perfect this side of heaven, but it can happen. Two dogs were in a farmyard, always fighting. Someone said to the farmer, which dog wins? The farmer said, it's really easy. The one I feed the most. In our lives are the two natures fighting, which is going to win. If we keep feeding the old nature by what we do, by what we watch, by who we spend our time with, it's not a surprise the result is more and more the work of the flesh. By contrast, if we keep feeding the spirit, if we uh, listen to what the Bible says to us, if we encourage our Christian friends, are encouraged by being here, if we pray, depend on God, more and more we can expect change. So friends, if you've given up, can I encourage you to remember you're not on your own. You're not being asked to do the impossible. Just be who you are, a child of God. Keep in step with the Spirit. Let me pray. Then we're going to sing. Father God, we need your help in all things. Help us to live in freedom. Help us to stand firm and not let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Help us to feed the spirit, to not feed our flesh, to fight, fight as we feed the spirit, as we look on Christ, as we meditate on what you've done. Help us to keep in step with the spirit. We need your help to do that. Amen.